Amen. Amen. Well, it's a powerful day. It is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and um, we do have kids in the room, so kids, um, uh, we love you, and if you talk a little bit, that's great, but just don't talk too much um, until I'm done talking, and um, then we can talk afterwards at the picnic. I'd love to hear all your stories and ideas you have, but we're thankful for our children, and um, on Easter Sunday, I wanted just to kick this message off of simply reading a part of Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Those would be angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Two phrases I want to point out. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Sometimes we do the same thing. We are looking in the wrong places, but we need to be looking for the person of Jesus. And then it said in verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ. We're talking about the power of the resurrection. We talked about the power of the cross on Friday night. And this morning we're talking about the power of the resurrection. But I would argue that many people today who are at a Sunday service, many people who are not at a church service today, who are in our world and in our nation may look at the resurrection as an idle tale that they maybe don't believe it truly. They might actually believe the cross happened, the crucifixion happened. They can kind of picture that in their mind of someone dying, but to picture in their mind someone being raised from the dead is different. It is uh, less common. And at that time, For the disciples who had been walking with Jesus, their Lord, their master, their king, the Messiah, the one that they thought he is going to usher in this great kingdom of Israel, finally, the justice of God will be here, will kick out the Romans, and everything's going to be made right for him to die and literally be buried in the tomb with the stone sealed with Roman soldiers around it thinking, that's it. It was just a dream. So then these women come and tell them, no, no, no. He's not there, like he's gone. And for them to think it's an idle tale, we can get caught in the same trap, but it's not an idle tale. 
I'm not going to get into all the facts of the resurrection today. What I want to focus in on is the power of the resurrection. Paul wrote it this way when he wrote his church to the uh, when he wrote a letter to the church in Philippi in AD 61, about 30 years after Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen from the grave. About 30 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share, in, uh, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Another translation says, being conformed to him in his death. Now, this idea of knowing here is to, to know, especially through personal experience, like a firsthand acquaintance. And the idea of power, this, this word power, dunamis, we may have heard of this word, right? Dunamis power, that's what that is in the Greek. It's the miraculous power. It's the miraculous working power of God. It's the dunamis power. So when we think about the resurrection, I want us to think about dunamis resurrection, like miraculous power that goes beyond reason that even supersedes our own imagination. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher um, titled as as the prince of preachers, he lived back in the Victorian age in England, And in April 1889, he preached on this verse. I'll read an excerpt. A noble ambition fired his soul. He longed to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means he might attain unto the resurrection from the dead, he became a holy walker and a heavenly runner because of what he saw in Christ Jesus. Be sure of this, that the less you value your own righteousness, the more you will seek after true holiness. The less you think of your own beauty, the more ardently will you long to become like the Lord Jesus. Those who dream of being saved by their own good works are usually those who have no good works worth mentioning. While those who sincerely lay aside all hope of salvation by their own merits are fruitful and every virtue to the praise of God. Nor is this a strange thing, for the less a man thinks of himself, the more he will think of Christ, and the more he will aim at being like Christ. The less esteem he has of his own past good works, the more earnest will he be to show his gratitude for being saved by grace through the righteousness of Christ. Faith works by love and purifies the soul. And sets the heart a running after the prize of our high calling in Christ Jesus. Charles Spurgeon preached that message in 1889 and less than three years later he died. Why does that matter? Because even at the end, Paul wrote that letter to the church in Philippi. I don't remember what year he died, but he was old enough to where he was coming to his latter days. And yet he still had that fervor. He still had that fire. He still had that desire to know him, to know the power of his resurrection, to relate to him in his sufferings, and to be conformed in his image, even in his older age. Which means it's not just something for a youthful zeal. It's not just something for the young generation. Man, I'm passionate about Jesus. 
Awesome. You know, in, in, in college, it's easy to be zealous and passionate about things, right? But then the world hits you and you're just like, ooh, this isn't as fun. When you get out of the education realm, it's like, oh, reality hits. And it's like, this ain't so easy. And it's like, when is class over? It's, it's over at 6 p.m. It's a 10-hour class every day. Well, when do I get a break? Well, then you come home, then you change diapers, then you cook food, then you clean the kitchen, then you fold the laundry, then you work on your finances, then you meet up with this friend, and then you're in bed at 11. Well, when's, when's the break? This life is full. And so that can beat it out of you, can it? It can beat out of you that zeal and that desire to want to be like him because we're just trying to eke through the day. We've all felt it. But yet Spurgeon and Apostle Paul, even in the latter days towards the end, still had that fire in them to be more like Christ and less like the world. You know, Paul said something unique in that Philippians 3 passage. He said, I want to experience his resurrection power. I want to have that power working in me. You know, that word experience, loosely defined, is the actual participation in something, right? We like to have experiences. That's like a big word these days, right? I don't think it was that big of a deal when I was growing up. I don't think I heard people talk about experiences. Um, I think I heard about adventures, but experiences, we want to be experiential, right? But yet you have to participate in it. So you can't view the resurrection at a distance and say, oh, yeah, that's great. Wow, let me go, Jesus. Awesome, good for you. No, 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 that's not the point. He wants us to experience it. You know how I know that? Because then after he's resurrected, he then appeared himself to those very disciples that thought it was an idle tale and appeared himself to over 500 other people to experience him and the resurrected power. He said, look at my hands. Look who I am. I am Jesus, but I'm the resurrected Jesus. I have defeated death itself and I'm coming back soon. They had to experience him. I think his same heart today is for us to experience his resurrection power. So just wanna cite three things. Three things that the resurrection power does in us. The first one is this. It is a converting power. It has the power to convert. You see, man and woman has a problem. So do kids. You know what the problem is, kids? The problem is sin. Sin's a big problem. Just like you were born with hair on your head, Whatever color it was, and born with a nose, a couple of ears, you're also born with sin. Sin is described in the Bible as a transgression of the law of God or a rebellion against God. You see, God made the rules. And whether or not we want to accept it, the rules exist. God is the sovereign one. And he has created this plan to get us out of this cyclical, deathly sin pattern. And that plan is in the person of Jesus. See, the Bible makes it really clear that man's disobedience has separated him from God. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So death came through, I mean, sin came through Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve by way of Satan, because remember, Satan was actually the first one who rebelled. Like, he's the one who rebelled. He's the one that actually wanted to be like God and to even one-up God. 
And in his pride and arrogance, he came against God and he brought a third of the angels with him in this rebellion and he was defeated and cast down. So then when God creates Adam and Eve and he's got them there in their garden, everything's going well, Satan then comes and he tempts them. And next thing you know, sin now enters the picture and the, and the idea was, hey, don't you wanna be like God? Don't you wanna know what God knows he's holding back from you? And that same desire, they then sin and disobeyed God. But the reality is we are made in his image. That's actually what he wants, to be his image bearers, to conform to his likeness, to know him in a deeper way. We're all born into sin with a desire to sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Falling short, right? Missing the mark of what God has put out there for what is righteous living. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If anyone says, I don't sin, 1 John said, uh, you're a liar. You're deceiving yourselves. It's like saying, I don't have 10 fingers. I don't. I don't have 10. Yes, you do. I can see it. No, I don't have 10 fingers. I don't believe it. Right? And so sometimes you look at it and you're like, what are you talking about? You know? And so... It makes it super clear that all have sin and that we actually have a desire to sin and that we deceive ourselves if we say that we have no sin. And sin is what separates man from God. And there's nothing we could do to change that problem. But how do we change that problem? How do we solve that problem? How do we realize that converting power of the resurrection? His name is Jesus. He came to earth, he lived a sinless life, he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice for us in exchange for us. And he said, I'm gonna die so you don't have to. And if you believe in me and what I've done and who I am, then guess what? You can receive forgiveness and you can receive eternal life. And not just all that, but guess what? You get to receive a relationship, a restored relationship with the holy almighty God and that's, and that's what you need to hear today. This isn't just for later in my last breath. This is a now word. It's the resurrection power. It's not just, well, great. I'll be resurrected one day back to live in heaven. Awesome. But that's not now. Right now, he's saying, I want you to experience that resurrection power today. The apostle Paul, he, he lays out this, this idea of the, of the converting power of the resurrection in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. That's Satan, by the way, and his team. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Everybody say that. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse seven. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace, you have been saved through faith. He says it again. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. 
Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That's everybody created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Now in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated for conversion or converted is to turn back or return. In Psalm 23, it's also translated as to restore. So you're thinking about conversion, it's a, it's a restoring. So when David writes, he restores my soul, it's a conversion of the soul. The picture the Bible shares with us is um, that the word convert is to return to what we were initially created to be. That's conversion. Conversion is not to make me something that I am, that I am not or something. No, it's, it's a conversion to say, this is who I originally am. And so now through Christ, he's going to convert me back to the original intent of God which is to walk whole and confident and pure and in righteousness and, 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 and in obedience and in a loving relationship and connection with him, that's what he's restoring us to. That's the conversion of faith, is a restoration. It's a winning back what was stolen, right? It's a taking back. It's, it's a restoring to that Garden of Eden relationship where everything was right and relationship was good. It's restoring that. That's what Christ came to do, and that's the power of the resurrection, it has the power to restore us to who we originally were created to be. It's not just a converting power, the resurrection power is also a conquering power. Conquer means to subdue or to win or to overcome by force, to conquer. John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus saying this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's contrasting what the devil does, which is to steal, kill, and destroy, with I give life, abundant life. It's the complete opposite. I love it. That's who Jesus is. That's the conquering power that he has. When he conquered death in the grave, he has the power and authority to then distribute that to others who believe in him and receive that power to then walk in those ways, to not walk in a deathly, darkened state, but to walk in a newness of life state. You can live on the same planet, work at the same job, live in the same neighborhood as someone else who doesn't have that and be completely different. We know that. But I'm urging us this morning to lean in to the resurrection power again. Now, in order for Jesus to have that conquering power, he went through a few things. I'll just list off a couple. One, he was flogged and beaten. The enemy was trying to steal from him, steal his dignity, his strength. He was trying to break him. That's what the enemy does to us. He tries to break you and steal who you are. He was also crucified. The enemy wanted to kill him. This is the same desire for us. The enemy wants to kill you. And in John 19, he was buried and sealed in a tomb. The enemy wanted to destroy Jesus for good. Let's just not mention him anymore. Let's just forget that little episode ever happened. That's what his desire was. That's the same desire for you. Let's just forget you exist. Let's, let's just forget that you were ever here. You don't matter. And what God is shouting is, you absolutely matter. I don't make mistakes. 
God doesn't. He is perfect and holy. Whatever we think actually is secondary to what he thinks. He loves you. He created you. He knows you. Yes, we're all made a little differently. We're from different homes. We got different things about us and because we're uniquely made, but we're all made actually by the same God and we're actually made in the same image. Part of you is actually in the image of him, male and female, young and old. There's a part of you, look, oh man, hey, no, 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 no. I got, I got some God looks. So do you. Hey, you remind me of somebody, God. Wow, how was that? Because he made you. The enemy wants to make you believe you have no relationship with him. You are not from that bloodline. You are not from that tree. And you know what? Apart from Christ, he's been able to sever that and sin severs you off from that family tree. That's what it does. It literally cuts you out of the deal, out of the inheritance. But when Jesus came, he said, no, 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 no. I'm the son. He's given all authority. When he said to Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. What is he saying? God Almighty has given all authority to me, Jesus Christ, on heaven and earth. Therefore, what I say and what I do is final. It is ultimate. So if I say you are forgiven, it's final. If I say be healed, it's final. If I say Jesus is the ultimate authority, and he is because he died became that sacrifice and you rose the grave. That resurrection power grants him the ultimate authority over darkness, sin, death, lies, and the rest of it. That's the Jesus we're celebrating today. Not flowy hair, the nice-looking beard, Jesus. I'm sure he did have a nice-looking beard. I have no idea his haircut. We just have assumptions. But he's not wanting us to look at his at just the appearance. He wants us to look at him and his power. Right? That's who Jesus is. He is conquering power. He is returning. We sang a song about it. He's returning one day, and he will not be weak then, I can assure you. And every knee that is not yielded and bowed to Jesus will yield that day. They will yield. He is not coming back with sappy songs. He's coming back for war. And he's coming back to take his bride, which is the people who have surrendered their lives to him. That's the church, not the institution. It's the people. Jesus is returning. And when he returns, that'll be it. And so it's our job to live in such a way that we're expecting him to come back. And we're ready for his return. That our Lamps are filled with oil. The light's on. We're ready. Because he gives us that conquering power now and he will put it on display later. Romans eight thirty seven. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That resurrection power cannot be stopped. The grave couldn't hold him. We've got to realize that whatever we're facing today, the resurrection power of God is able to help us overcome. But you have to believe it. You know, it's, 
we can't push a button because that can be kind of lethargic, right? It's not just automatic. It actually takes us being convinced and in our hearts and minds and believing him over all the noise and all the lies and everything else that meant to distract us or all the human efforts is saying, am I gonna allow him to be, have the number one spot? Am I gonna allow his voice to be louder than everyone else's? And that's the question. Because to really know him, to really believe in that power, you have to put everything else as secondary. He has to be option A. Listen to these words in Ephesians 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion, I think that covers everything, and above every name, that's every person who's ever lived, whoever will live, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. So now he's covering eternity, all of humanity, in every spot on planet Earth and Mars and everywhere else. He's covering all of it. It's the universe. He's saying Jesus has the authority. The name of Jesus is supreme. And then it says in verse 22, this is great. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. You know, some of you may have not seen it, but you know, the Passion of the Christ movie came out several years ago. I think it came out when I was in college. Powerful movie and uh, very intense. And I remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is there praying and literally he's like holding on and his disciples fall asleep. We know that whole story. And, 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 and in the movie, they depict the devil coming in and in a serpent form and, and, uh, and, and Jesus steps on the head of that serpent and, and, and crushes his head, right? And, and, um, and, and, you know, whenever we think about Jesus coming back, conquering power, we know that he's not only empowered us to do what he's done and to partner with him and pushing back darkness, but the reality that Jesus would actually be tempted to give in and yet say, no, I'm not gonna give in. I'm not gonna give in. There is a power that he acts as through the Father by the Holy Spirit to even combat the enemy in those last moments. That's the same kind of power he gives us, which is if we believe in him and if he's transferred that authority to us, then you do not have to give in to any temptation. You do not have to give in to any, anything. Literally, it is within you by the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection power. You have the power to say no to anything that's ungodly and say yes to godly. So I just, I wanna encourage you to say this. We are not, we are weak apart from him. But with him, we are like superheroes. Kids, you're like a superhero with Christ. That's the kind of power he wants you to realize. Do not listen to the world when they say you can't do this. No, don't listen to that. 
You need to say, no, no, in Christ Jesus, nothing is impossible with him. The last piece I just wanna share is that it's a conforming power. Romans 12, one through two. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Why are we meant to be transformed? Why? Because we want to know that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. The transformation is not just to know what's wrong. It's not just don't conform to the world, man, don't be like that. That's actually not the emphasis. The emphasis is be like him. Right? We need to put our focus less on what we're not supposed to be and what we're supposed to be. But we get stuck in the, oh, that's bad. I oh, don't do that. Oh, don't do that. It's like, whoa, whoa. Tell me what you're supposed to be like. What, like, where's, like, that's who we need to be putting our focus on. Our attention on is who we are to be, less about all the things we're not going to be. If you're going to chase that, you're going to spend your life chasing crazy. Our world's been crazy for a long time. That's not ending anytime soon until Jesus returns. It'll continue to be crazy at different levels. So like you can chase that and try to understand all the craziness or just understand the truth, what is good, acceptable and perfect and holy and right and lean there. It's gonna make your life a whole lot simpler. Instead of reading 50 books on what not to do, just read one on what to do. Right? It's really, I'm helping you out. This is gonna save you a lot of time. Right? But, but when we chase everything, well, gosh, you hear what they said? I, I don't care. Why do I care? I don't care about everyone's Facebook post. I don't care about what this author, why do I care? I care what this says. And, and, and actually you should care too because then you actually don't spend so much time getting in the weeds of what they're doing. It's like, no, like this is what Jesus said. I'm following him. I don't know who you're following, but he's gonna die and he probably won't be resurrected out of the grave. Probably, but like Jesus did. And, and, and so I'm gonna go with him because he's already proven himself. And for a couple thousand years, he's already demonstrated his power for 2,000 years on earth. This isn't just like miracles happen then. His power is present today. In this room, some of you have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus, am I right? Not just through miracles in your body, but miracles in your heart, miracles in relationships, stuff happening in your life, things, things you cannot even explain. And you're like, well, I, don't, I can't explain that. Right? That's the resurrection power. All right, let's stand this morning. We're going to close. Ben, y'all come on up. I want to read this verse from Paul from Philippians 1.6. Because I want us to know that the resurrection power of Christ, it's at work in us to make us alive in Christ, to live that full abundant life that he spoke of. And to help us become more like him in our heart, in our actions, in our thoughts. But there's more work to do. It's not finished yet. His work on the cross, that particular assignment mission was finished. But the work in you is not finished. He's got more for you. He's created you for good works. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Which means we're all a work in progress. Someone years ago, very wise, said, um, Tyler, you will never arrive. What do they mean by that? You will never arrive as being the perfect husband. You will never arrive at being the perfect follower of Jesus. You will never arrive at being the perfect coach or understanding. You will never arrive because the moment you think that you've arrived is the moment pride gets into your system and you say, actually, I figured it out now, God. I'm good. I don't need you. I've systematized my life. I've principled my life so much. I've taken care of every dot, every T. And then you look up and you say, wait a second. I'm reminding myself of somebody a couple thousand years ago and a group of people that Jesus railed against who actually wanted to do right. They wanted to live holy and righteous, but they thought it was by their works and by them doing everything in the right, perfect way. And their names were the Pharisees because they thought they had arrived. They're good. If we just, if we just do this, if we do A, B, and C every day, we're good, man. We're good. And then they started distancing himself from God over the generations. And then when Jesus stepped on the scene, it just had gotten so wacky. And so for us, don't ever think you've arrived. There's always something you can learn. Several years ago, I was doing a little teaching on prophecy and encouraging, equipping people. And, and, I, and I said, um, if you can't receive a word from a child, there's still pride and arrogance in your heart. If you can only receive from certain types of people that look a certain way or have a certain level of experience, you've got more humbling to do. <laughs> because children actually have greater faith than most adults. I'm not just saying, I think that is, that is reality. I've seen kids pray for things adults won't pray for and then it happens. You're like, whoa. And you think, well, what happened? Well, I had half belief, half disbelief mixed in. They just had full belief. It's like, why can't we walk on water? Jesus did it. Well, kid, because, you know, water, gravity. And they're like, well, Jesus did it. Why not? I'm like, okay, we need that kind of faith. Whether we sink or walk, who cares? I want the faith to be matching that resurrection power. Leaders, I want you to come forward this morning. I'm just gonna pray for us. And this morning... Some of our life group leaders come up here just to be available to pray for you. But as they come up this morning, I just want you to be encouraged that we are celebrating a day of the resurrected Lord Jesus and that there's power available today. And so if you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what? I need some of that resurrection power. I need somebody to pray because I'm a little bit of a belief and mis and, 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 and unbelief mixture this morning. You know, there's something in my life that, that I need breakthrough. Hey, there's actually someone in my family that I love about that I need God to reach in their life. I need the power of Jesus to show up because they're not listening and they're falling fast. It, it, it may be for you, maybe for somebody else you love, I don't know. But if you're willing, come up here and just share with someone and say, hey, let's pray. And prayer teams, I want you guys to pray with that resurrection power. Like no unbelief, none. And if you can't pray without any unbelief, then just don't pray, just go sit down. But if you're gonna pray, pray with belief, like believing that he will do it today. Don't pray like, God, maybe sometime in the next seven years will you heal them of the eye thing. That's not a prayer. That's a prediction, right? But a prayer is like, now, Lord, 
It doesn't happen now. It's okay. He's still God. You know what I'm saying? Don't get caught up in God's timing. That's not our place. Our place is belief. His place is timing and outcomes. He didn't ask us to only do things when we know the timing and outcome. He said, you lean into me and I'll take care of you. So Lord, we pray this morning you would come in power. Come in dunamis power this morning in Jesus' name. That resurrection power, Lord, we proclaim it. We declare it this morning. It is present. It is available. You are not withholding. So come, Lord Jesus, today, now, Lord, we pray for your dunamis power in this place. You would come and be the miracle worker that you are. Provide the breakthrough. Provide the healing. Provide the insight. Whatever you want to do this morning, Lord, in our hearts and minds and bodies, we lean in and ask you to come. In Jesus' name, we celebrate that you have defeated death and that you are the resurrected King. Amen.